Before you're seated, let's pray a prayer blessing over these men and women. Lord, all those that have given several years of life to service in our country, we just have said thank you publicly, but we just want to ask God to bless them and smile on them because we know our freedom was not free. Lord, we ask to remember every family today that's missing someone, whether they've given their life the ultimate sacrifice for the nation or whether they're serving on a foreign soil at this point. And, Lord, we would pray that the days ahead would be a days of peace for America. We pray, Lord, that you protect, Lord, every person that's fighting for us today, that's standing in the gap for freedom. And uh, we bless our nation today and the men and women who serve in Jesus' name. Anybody say it? Well, I'll give your neighbor a high five. Tell him you're looking good today. And you may be seated. Well, turn your Bibles this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I also like to give you a Bible guide. This is a Bible reading guide. I use it every day. It's got Old and New Testament to read. Uh, this is for November and December. If you'd like one or several, lift your hand and an usher will help you out right now. We've also got it on our phone app that uh, you can find it. Go to the store, search Church on the Rock, Texarkana. It's on our webpage as well. Well, we have another group of folks that went to Mexico, southern Mexico, and they got back at 3 in the morning, and several are here. I want them to stand right now. Our missions folks that went to Mexico and are in church at 3 in the morning, uh, well, whatever time it is, 11 o'clock. How much did you miss me? Well, there you go. You're paid to be here, though, so I'm, we, are, we are glad you're here. And we missed you, too. Well, praise the Lord. I'm glad the election's over. How about you? And I'm going to tell you what. I was so proud of our church in this election season. You know, we registered about 170 people to vote. Uh, last week, based on a show of hands in the three services, about 75% of the people voted early, and a lot of people said, I voted for the first time. And isn't that a great thing, that, that Christian people, citizens participating in this wonderful society we live in today? Let me tell you what makes me the proudest. Uh, if you've known me very long, you know that I'm not afraid to talk about what's going on in America. I don't endeavor to teach you the Bible just from a historical perspective. Because you could come to church and we could have a, a college lecture where we just hearken back in time several thousand years and saying, here's what it said to those guys and disconnected from today. I do my best, and I know I'm not perfect, but I do my best to present the Bible and the truths of the Bible so you can use them on Monday morning and Tuesday and so you can make decisions throughout the course of your day. But one thing that makes me super proud as your pastor is we didn't let the election divide us. Because, yeah, political party second, Jesus first. I mean, you know, God's kingdom is bigger than the kingdoms of this world. But listen, elections divide people. Politicians use us. In case you didn't know that, that's how they get votes. They put us in boxes. The box I happen to be in, uh, born in largely, but uh, some by choice. I'm a white guy, in case you didn't know that. I am white. Uh, I'm in the white over 50 box. Um, <laughs> I'm in the white over 50 evangelical box, and I'm in the white over 50 evangelical and fortunate not to have to be on government assistant box. I mean, that's just kind of the boxes that I'm in. Now, if you change any of those boxes, we're over here. I mean, you, you, you change the color of my skin, I'm in another box. You change my gender, I'm in another box. And these boxes in modern America are pitted against each other. 
it's tragic, but, but we live in a nation, and that's what politicians do, and they keep us kind of stirred up rather than uh, trying to unite us. It's a sad thing, but it's a fact and it's a reality. I guarantee I could touch hot buttons that would affect everybody in one way or the other. I, I don't know that I want to do any of these because you're in a good mood right now. But I was, pr- I was proud that we hung together. I didn't see too many people walk out in the course of messages. Let me tell you something else that made me proud. We participated in the Pulpit Freedom Sunday. You supported our efforts to join with over 1,600 churches across America standing for free speech in the pulpit, speech that's guaranteed by the First Amendment that was unjustly taken away by the Johnson Amendment years ago, and the church stood up. And guess what? This week, the IRS backed down and said, we're not going to uh, uh, audit churches because of the content of their speech. How many know our freedoms are not guaranteed by our government, but our freedoms are guaranteed by God, and sometimes we have to stand for them? But I'll also tell you, when I woke up Wednesday morning, I was grieving for my nation. Our nation's in trouble. Our nation was in trouble before the election. In case you didn't know it, our nation is still in trouble. Um, Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, said this about America's future. He said, when America's leaders actively promote and legislate immorality when they restrict the religious freedoms that our country was founded on and are openly hostile to men and women of faith, then I believe we're ripe for God's judgment. Now, I really hope he's not true. I hope it's not true in my lifetime and my children's lifetime, but I fear that it well could be. And what I'd like to do this morning, next week we're going to get back to just chapters of the Bible. Next week, Lord willing, we'll go back to the life of David. We'll see what happens when a Christian falls, a believer in God makes a mistake, how God is able to restore them through repentance, uh, because how I many know all of us mess up in life? And, and, and we're going to see that the Bible is a, a, a book of restoration, not just a book to, you know, to punish people. But, but this morning, I want to share with you what I've been thinking about the last couple days about America. I want to share some things with you that I woke up Wednesday morning thinking about and have been meditating on them ever since. Four things I want to share with you is, number one, that it's difficult for Christians to live in two worlds at the same time. I'll explain that. I I was made very much aware that I don't share the values of most Americans and that it could cost me something to stand for Christ in the coming days. But lastly, that I'm not going to face the future with fear. I'm going to face the future with faith in God. Because, listen, whether your candidate it was reelected or elected or made it or didn't make it, how many know that has nothing to do with God who's on the throne of the universe? How many know God is still God and he's going to be God tomorrow and he's going to be God through the ages and through the end of time and through the Antichrist and everything that today's uh, a whole for us? He's God during the good days and he's God during the bad days. And I choose to have faith in him. Come on. No matter what goes on around me. I'm choosing to believe God is still God. First uh, Timothy chapter 2, let's begin there. And this first thought, it's difficult for Christians to live in two worlds at the same time. Now, these two scriptures came to me, uh, and, and I have been meditating on them because they're, they're in tension against each other. They, they kind of pull against one another, and they're both true at the same time. First Timothy chapter 2 I have heard a number of other Christian ministers refer to this. This is a call for prayer for people that are in authority. I heard Billy Graham uh, write this and say this, that we should be praying for our president. I heard the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, an African-American, enjoining American Christians to pray for President Obama. Uh, I I heard one of my favorite missionary guys, David Shibley, uh, saying the same thing. 
to pray for our Christian leaders. And here's how the scripture unfolds. It says, pray for all people, ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf. That is to pray on uh, pray kind of in the gap for them and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority. Now, hold on just a minute. So the Bible says that whether it's the president, whether it's our, our local sheriff, Sheriff Prince is here this morning. He was reelected this week. Congratulations to him. You know, some things are, are well, I was going to meddle a minute, but I won't. The, the Bible says we're to ask God to help them. Your mayor, your city councilman, your judges, Supreme Court, ask God to help them to intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. But here's why. So we can live a peaceful and quiet life marked by godliness and dignity. I'm to pray for people in leadership, and it's got a personal reason, so I can live a quiet and peaceful life in godliness and dignity. So what does that mean? I'm to pray for people who are in some political authority over my life so I can have an enjoyable life and live out my Christian freedoms, my Christian convictions. That I'm to pray that I can have a life uh, that works for me, that I enjoy, a life that's meaningful to me, but not having to deny the Christian convictions that I hold dear. And this is kind of the tension. Now, a, a, a quiet and peaceable life would, I believe, refer to things like a good car, a nice car, a car that's going to get you around, you know, a house to live in, some money to go to a restaurant, uh, to, be, to be safe, to not have to live in fear, you know, to, to be free in our nation. I mean, these are all things. And for me, I would add the fact that I have some water in my duck spot, and I can go and I can have a good time duck hunting. So, uh, okay, uh, quiet and peaceable life, all right, for John Miller. I don't know what yours may be, eternal sales at Dillard's or wherever you shop. I mean, whatever it is, but a, a life that's enjoyable. But listen, it's not just having fun. It's with godliness. It is with a sense that we can be who we are called to be as Christians and not be persecuted, not be ashamed, not be attacked, not have to put our cross inside of our shirt when we go in to work, not have to hide our Bible if we're a school teacher, if we want to read during lunch, that we have the freedom to live as American people. And, and these freedoms are in jeopardy, I suggest to you today. I suggest we may not be able to have a quiet and peaceable life unless we keep our mouth shut, come on, unless we just go in the direction of the world. And the second scripture that came to me were from the lips of Christ, where he said, my kingdom is not of this world. Now, this is where the tension is. Remember, I told you it's difficult to live in two worlds at the same time. I'm praying for a quiet and peaceable life, that I can enjoy this life and things are well. But Jesus also told me, this is not your home. My home is in heaven. That earth is a temporary assignment for me. Earth is not my home. Heaven is. Earth is a place where I carry out the kingdom of God. And this is the great tension in life. Wanting to have a happy and peaceable life, but yet knowing this is really not my home. And I've got to make a confession to you. I have found myself, the last few months in particular, I've almost been a little too focused on what's happening in Washington, Little Rock, and Austin. And not focused enough on the eternal kingdom. Now, I didn't cease to be a Christian, but I got pretty absorbed in it. Part of what I do as a, as, a, as, a, as a Christian teacher in trying to make the Bible relevant, it's important to me to know what's going on. It's important not only to educate, but to challenge what goes on in our world that's headed in the wrong direction. But how many know our future is not ultimately dependent on what's going on in this life? 
and, and there may come a time when I have to choose between the two kingdoms that I live in. I may have to choose between the quiet and peaceable life. Come on. You know, one day people are going to have to take the mark of the beast if they want to participate in the system. Now, check it out in the book of Revelation. If you want to have a quiet and peaceable life, in about midway through the book of Revelation, you're going to have to take the mark of the beast. But the Bible says if you sell yourself to the world system and to the Antichrist, you'll have no part in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm telling you, those will be difficult days for people. But yet, they're no difficult than they are than Christians living in persecution right now in America today. But I have come to the conclusion in my life that I am going to be more concerned about God's eternal kingdom than happiness and peace on this earth. I want to have a happy life, an enjoyable life. I want to be at peace. But if the cost for following Christ is great enough that I have to give up some of this, come on, I want to be willing to give it up and follow Christ wherever he may lead me. So I want to make sure that God's kingdom is first, not just the happy and enjoyable life that I'm desiring for and praying for. Come on. But I'm praying for God's eternal kingdom. And all the church said, yeah, you're right with me, I think, on that one as well. Uh, Hebrews 11, I, I, I'm saying it this way. Earth is not my home. Life here is temporary. And I suggest in my own life and possibly yours, the same thing is true. I'm too concerned about life here. And I'm not focused enough on eternity. Hebrews eleven thirteen, speaking of early Christians, it says, They accepted the fact that they were transients in this world. Uh, they, they were strangers, sojourners passing through, pilgrims in the world. Verse 14, they are looking for their true home. And where would that be? That's exactly right. But they were after a far better country that is heaven. And I suggest to you that the mentality that I have adopted, I've had it all along, but it's been reinforced after this election, is that earth is not my home. And ultimately, I'm gearing myself for heaven and God's eternal reward. And I don't want to sell the kingdom short. And I don't want to just lay hold of an enjoyable, happy life here. Come on, if it makes me sacrifice or choose to reject the kingdom of God here, uh, on this earth. Second Timothy chapter 3. Let me share the second thing that I woke up Wednesday morning with, with in my own realization and understanding is I don't share the values of most Americans. I don't share the values of most Americans. And again, let me reiterate, I understand that Christians voted across the spectrum for a number of reasons. There was not, in case you didn't know this, there was not a Christian party. Yeah. We didn't have Moses running for office. I'd have settled for Ronald Reagan if he would come back. But he, he, he you know, we didn't have uh, someone that was a genuine Christian conservative, Bible believer, stands that I share with you from this pulpit. They were just not running for, the, for office, neither man nor woman. They perhaps were there early on, but by the time it got down the food chain, they, they were not there. So I understand that as we kind of voted across the spectrum, and I'm not talking to Christians that may disagree with some things that I'm, I'm saying, but what I'm saying broadly this morning is the world does not share the values that we as followers of Christ do. The world at large rejects the values that I hold dear. Now I want to read a scripture to you. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. I read this many, many times, but it became more real to me today. See, we live in the Bible Belt. We live in one of the buckles of the Bible Belt. Life around here, it's pretty, pretty much, you know, kind of Christian in the culture. But there's places in America that are openly hostile to the Christian faith. I lived in California for about 10 years. I'm glad I got my wife. I'm glad we left. Um, 
you know, I'm, I, I'm glad I don't live there anymore because the values were not values that I embrace as a Christian. I didn't want to raise my children there. But that tolerance that I knew when I was there, in many cases now, is open hostility against those that are believers in Christ. Listen to these words of 2 Timothy 3, and, and perhaps you might see with me their, their meaning in the world in which we live today. In the last days, and how many believe we're there? In the last days, there'll be times of difficulty. Another translation says, don't be naive. There are difficult times ahead. For people will love only themselves and their money. Now, think about, did you hear any themes of, 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 of sacrifice and more concern for you? And this sense of, 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 a, of a shared, you know, the fabric that, that had my, my parents and grandparents that drew them together that would make them uh, uh, understand the, the, the greater need of the greater good kind of thing. I, I'm talking about the selfishness that we see growing in America today, which like everybody's out for number one. They'll be boastful and proud. They'll scoff at God, which means they'll be disrespectful. They'll mock God. I'll never forget the video that I showed you of the Democratic National Convention when they were voting whether to include or exclude God from the platform. And fully half of the delegates there booed when they put God back in the party platform. Now think about that. Booed. And I'll never forget the people and the expressions that I saw. I think this is what we're talking about. Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful. They'll consider nothing sacred. I suggest to you that, that when, when in health care, the new health care that, that's coming upon us, Obamacare, that when the Catholic Church, 60 to 70 million religious Catholics, said we believe that it's wrong for us to provide insurance that's going to preclude pills that induce an abortion because that's the taking of human life. And at one point in America, religious freedom was up here and these issues were down here. Now abortion is here and it's like shut your mouth, Christian. Just take it. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. There's a lot of lawsuits out there right now, but we're just coming to grips with this, what this is going to mean. You're going to find this year all the taxes and all that that we're going to start paying for what was supposed to be free. But, but this, is, this, is, uh, this is, where were we? They'll consider nothing sacred. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. Wasn't the campaign, weren't the campaigns just filled with vileness and, and hatred? They'll slander others, which is speaking evil, speaking untruths, outright lies on television, radio. They'll have no self-control. They'll be cruel. They'll hate what is good. Verse 4, they'll love pleasure rather than God. And verse 5, they'll act religious, but they'll reject the power that could make them godly. They'll act religious, but they'll reject the power that makes them godly. Now, we didn't have any avowed atheists, atheists that were running. We had men that, that said they believed in God, but most of the time it's not the God as we understand him from an evangelical conservative Christian perspective. Neither President Obama nor Governor Romney claim to be an evangelical Christian. Now, I may be wrong, but it seems to me there's only one kind of Christian, and that's a follower of Jesus Christ. That's someone that believed that that cross represents that the Son of God came down from this earth, lived a perfect life, was born of a virgin, willingly went to the cross, gave his life, 
for the salvation of the world, and he's the only way to heaven. No man comes to the Father but by him. He rose from the grave, and he's coming back again, and he tells his followers to deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow them. To me, that's what it, that's what it means to be a Christian. But the majority of Americans, I believe, are like this passage of Scripture that I read to you today. I, I, it's on election evening, I was shocked that unless there was massive fraud, which there could be, all the electronic machines and everything and the tabulation in La La Land, there could be massive, massive fraud. But unless there's massive fraud, I came to the conclusion that my values are different than most of America. I wanted Americans to stand for innocent children in the womb. But the majority did not. And I'm not going to re-preach the Bible's position on these issues. I, I wanted Americans to listen to Billy Graham and respect the biblical view of marriage between a man and a woman. The majority did not. I wanted America to change our economic policies that are bankrupting our nation. But the majority chose more of the same. And, and let's not be deceived. We're bankrupting America. We are in huge economic trouble. It's like a, a, the, the credit card will one day have to come to a stop. I wanted an America where I didn't have to pay more taxes. But the majority wants to. Now, you say, well, middle class people won't have to. Oh, you are fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. Is it not a tax when, 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 when the pizza place that delivers your pizza can't afford, I don't care what it is, whether it's their new taxes or whether it's uh, uh, the cost of health care and they charge you more for the pizza? Is it not less money in our pockets because our dollar is shrinking because we've been printing phony money? And when we go and try to buy things at the grocery store that you wonder, $100 used to buy a couple, uh, maybe three sacks, now it buys two, and we wonder what's going on in America? Why are things costing so much more? I mean, I mean this, is, this is the America where we're heading to. The majority wanted more of the same. I wanted Americans to choose limited government and more individual freedom. But instead, we chose more government and less personal freedom. And let me say this. I wanted Americans to slow down the pace towards a one-world government. But I believe the majority sped it up. Now, you're not going to have a one-world government until all individual governments get stronger and stronger and more powerful. And the only way they get more powerful is if you and I have less freedom. But I know, though I'm praying for a quiet and peaceable life, I know though, that one day, come on, this world is going to come to an end. One day this world is going to unite like it did at the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament. One day there's going to be a unity in the world. One day a one-world leader. One day an Antichrist. And that person is going to rule the world. Well, listen, you're not going to have a quiet and peaceable life in that day if you're not living for the Lord Jesus Christ. I wanted, Americans to, I wanted America to return to our Judeo-Christian heritage in the Constitution. But the majority did not. Now... This election, I think, was a wake-up call to say America is headed in the wrong direction. And I hope you're big enough to see that this is not an issue of all the little boxes, but it's a moral direction. It is a nation that has rejected God. Now, here's the question, though. How do we, how do we respond to people who call wrong right and right wrong? That's what it is. When a federal judge undoes the will of the people, for example, in California in Prop 8 and says it's okay for two men to marry or two women to marry, how do I respond to that? I'll suggest to you it's this. I respond by loving people and telling them the truth. I suggest to you that I need to have the courage of my convictions 
And I want to renew my commitment to you as your pastor that we're going to do as a church, do everything we can to reach as many people as we can for the gospel of Christ before it's eternally too late. I, in my own world, I really want to live a happy and peaceful life. I really want life on earth to be good for me. I want it to be good for my children, and I hope one day my grandchildren. But if I have to let all this go and choose the eternal kingdom of God, I want to tell you, friends, that's what I want to choose for my life. That's the direction that I want to be headed because what matters most, my friends, are the souls of people. And the object is not just what box that I happen to be in by choice or by birth. The object for us as a Christian, we're in the same box, come on, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can have a lot of things we disagree on. But I want to tell you this, our number one goal in this life is to reach as many people as we can with the gospel of Christ. And how many know that's what it means to be a Christian, and that's what I renew my commitment to you as your pastor. Come on, give the Lord a, a good hand this, this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, here's the third thing that, I, I, that came as conviction to me, and I guess just honest realization. The future, in the future, it may likely cost me something to stand for Christ in the coming days. There will likely be a, a cost to pay. Religious freedom for Christians is under attack in America. Let me say it again. Religious freedom is under attack in America today. Let me give you an example. Professor Angela McCaskill the first African-American woman to earn a doctorate degree from Gallaudet University, worked there for 24 years. I think just a second. 24 years at a college. Earned doctorate. Minority. Big issues. But she was immediately placed on administrative leave after it was disclosed that she'd signed a petition at her church calling for same-sex marriage measure to be placed on the November ballot. What does that mean? That means she went to church one Sunday and they were saying that rather than a judge saying who can marry, we believe the will of the people should vote and be expressed. States' rights. That's all she did. And she didn't even make an opinion. She didn't even say I'm for it or against it. But when that was published and made public, guess what happened? She lost her job. She was placed on administrative leave. 24 years, African-American woman, earned doctorate. I'm talking about, I mean, first woman that had made that course at that university. And here's what they said. Christian values, religious freedom, down. New political correctness, up. She had to get an attorney. She had to go to court to fight for her job, not because of her skills, not because of anything, but the fact that she stood or was standing for individual liberty and could well be motivated by the fact that marriage should be between a man and a woman. I'm telling you, there's being a price to pay in America today to be a Christian. And I don't want to scare you, but I love you enough to tell you the truth. I love you enough to tell you the truth. I have had to confront health care head on. Our church has a health care plan. I called our insurance agent this week. I said, uh, who are we going to have to cover? Are we going to have to cover everybody that works here? You've got people that work in the nursery part-time, you know, maybe a couple hours a month. Do they have to have health care? Well, we're not quite sure yet. We're going to figure it out. How about the big one? Are we going to have to offer abortion coverage in our church insurance plan? Now, see, it's one thing for it to be out there in political discourse. Well, we're past that now. It's the law of the land. Let me say this to you. Persecution is nothing new in Christianity. 
Standing up for your faith is nothing new. The the whole New Testament was birthed in a context of persecution. Lest we forget this, our Savior was crucified because he stood against, come on, against the religious people of his day. He stood for truth in a world that was hostile to it. John the Baptist, we herald as one of the greats of all time. John the Baptist simply told King Herod the adulterous affair he was in was wrong. And it cost him his head. I'm telling you, I hope that doesn't happen today. I hope I can go duck hunting for the rest of my life. Come on, I hope I, I hope I have enough. And I'm not saying they're going to make a law, thou shalt not duck hunt. But I want to tell you, my hobby takes money and your hobby takes money. Come on. Your lifestyle takes money today. Your lifestyle determines if you're going to go to Red Lobster and eat today or if you're going to go home and eat a cheese sandwich because that's all the money you've got. I'm telling you, it just trickles down to that in life one day. Uh, Listen to what the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews. Because I believe this attack on Christians will get worse. Muslims hate us because we stand for the nation of Israel. In case you forgot, you're still the great Satan. Militant abortion advocates hate you simply because you say an innocent child in the womb should be allowed to live. A militant homosexual hates you because you believe that marriage should be between a man and a woman. And you can be a sweet grandmother and hold that belief. You don't have to be some preacher up here talking. You can just be a sweet, nice person and hold that belief. And there will be hostility directed towards you. But it's not new. Hebrews 10 verse 32 says, Remember how you remain faithful to Christ even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. Verse 34, you suffered along with those who were thrown in jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. I don't think I would be happy if I lost my decoys. That's duck decoys. I don't think I would be happy if I had to give up my bass boat to make my house payment. I don't have a bass boat. My, my, uh, my, duck, my little duck boat. I don't think I would be very happy. Come on. If the cause of Christ had a price to pay. You knew there were better things for you. Waiting for you. That will last forever. And this could be the tension of the days in front of you. It could be the quiet and peaceable life on earth. And it could be my kingdom is not of this world. And you may find yourself. College students in this city find themselves subject to that when they sit in the classroom and their Christianity is mocked. So this is not like a faraway thing in New York City. This is all around us and this is the world that we live in today. This is not a gender thing. It's not a race thing. Come on, it's not a young guy, old guy thing. This is, this is the spirit of the age in which we live in today. Now, let me kind of wrap up here. Matthew chapter 28 I've shared with you some things that, that these are my personal reflections. You think about them, chew them up, take them with you, or leave them here in the church. But for me, I have found that it is deemed difficult to live in two worlds at the same time. It's difficult to be not concerned about what goes on, but not too concerned. I come to grips that I don't share with the values of most Americans. And if you think that was a stretch, I, I know that was a little uncomfortable when I was talking about that. Just turn your television on. Just turn your TV on and see if you agree with most of what you see on modern television. Tell me if when you're trying to watch something that is wholesome and good, tell me if it bothers you if the F word is dropped in there. 
Tell me if it bothers you, even if you're watching some of the old TV TV land station. I like some of those old shows. It bothers me some of the advertisements of other shows that just jump up in front of me. That bothers me. That bothers me, friends. It bothers me when my children are educated with textbooks that systematically remove God and Christian history from our nation. It bothers me when our children don't learn that Christopher Columbus was a man, according to his own diary, that believed Jesus Christ sent him across the ocean to bring the gospel to a foreign land. It bothers me when they make a movie about him and portray him as some godless European that just wanted to pillage North America. It bothers me in the world that I live in today because that's the new values or the growing values of our culture. Matthew chapter 28, though, those are some things that I've been thinking about, but here's the last one, and I want you to walk out of the doors this morning with this thought in your mind. I'm not going to face the future with fear, but I'm choosing faith in God. Let me say it again. I'm not going to face the future with fear. I'm choosing faith in God. Listen to what Jesus said. Now, this is pretty profound. Either way this thing goes. Matthew 28, verse 20. Be sure of this. Jesus said, I am, say it with me, with you always. How many know always is the rest of your days on this earth? Even to the end of the age. He reiterated in Hebrews where God has said, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. So whatever you face tomorrow, you're not facing it alone. Listen, if you're going in a history test that has nothing to do with today's sermon, you're facing that history class, you can say, Jesus, please help me and give me some good Holy Ghost guesses if it's multiple choice. I mean, you know, whatever you face, you know, if I go to the, if it rains today and there's some water in my duck spot and I'll go have a great time, you know what I mean? I'm I'm never by myself. The Lord Jesus is with me. Let me give you two stories of faith and I'll conclude with this. You know, sometimes faith produces a miraculous result and a miraculous change. Sometimes, though, faith just gives us courage and power to endure difficulties. And let me give you two in the Bible. Jehoshaphat. You remember Jehoshaphat's story? He was a great man of God. He was back in the Old Testament, the book of Chronicles. Well, Jehoshaphat was a leader in the nation of Israel. And all of a sudden, his nation found itself under attack. There were literally, literally an innumerable army. They were so outnumbered, they knew they couldn't do anything about it. They didn't have bombs and helicopters and nuclear weapons or anything like that. All they had was bow and arrows and and, and swords, and they realized they didn't have enough of it. And you know what they did? Their faith propelled them to go to God in the place of prayer, and they said, God, please have mercy on us. What are we supposed to do? And God, true to form, sent a prophet, and a prophet told them, go on out in the morning and fight those guys. God's going to take care of it. And because they believed God, they got up early in the morning. Now, how many hate to get up early in the morning? Okay, all right. Well, these guys got up early in the morning because they believed God. And they did a most incredible thing. This is one of the most incredible stories in the Bible. They got up early in the morning, and rather than putting the guys with the bow and arrows out front like I'd have done, they put singers out front. They, they, they put a Joe Williams, come on, to sing yeah, yeah. as the army went out to do its battle. Now, it, that's illogical, isn't it? But doesn't faith help you tap into something that is supernaturally potential? Something that goes, eclipses what we see in the natural? Something supernatural happened. They get up the next morning, they go over the the crest of the hill, and lo and behold, this innumerable army had turned on itself and killed each other. 
I don't know how it started. I don't know if two guys were marching together and one says, you're fat, and the other said, you're ugly, and they took out their sword and killed each other. I don't know what happened. I don't know if somebody told a mom a joke and they defended mom, and before you know it, they... But, but they wiped everybody out. They're all gone, and they get across the hill, and then these Israelites are going to go pick up all the, all the spoils. Now, can I tell you, faith can produce miracles. Faith can produce turnaround and change. You could wake up. Listen, faith, a, a revival could sweep through the halls of Congress. Right now, they're already starting about the fiscal cliff. <laughs> you know, they're already talking. Well, a revival could sweep through the halls of Congress. You know, Muslims around the world have visions and dreams at night about Jesus, and yeah. they get converted to Christ in yeah. the Jesus film. I mean, we could have a, a revival that doesn't start in the church building, come on, but starts in the old church building, because Congress's first church that they met in was the, was the, uh, was the building where Congress assembled. There could be a miraculous revival to turn it around, and faith could be a part of that. But let me tell you another story about faith, what faith does. You're Stephen in the New Testament. This time it's very different on the outcome, but the faith and the object are the same. Stephen is a Christian. He's a guy just like you and I, but he is in an era of persecution. You read about his story in Acts. Stephen is a guy who is just, he's a deacon in the church. He loves God. He's got the Holy Spirit in him, and God's doing miracles in his life. But he finds himself in front of this Jewish council and this, this, this Sanhedrin. These, all the Jews are around him and said, okay, God, tell us what's up. And he gives one of the greatest summaries of the whole Old Testament, about a chapter and a half. But all of a sudden, he looks at them and he starts telling them the truth. And he said, you're the guys that crucified Christ. You're the guys that the prophets talked about. And all of a sudden, these people turn to rage. And now, rather than listening to him, they're going to stone him, kill him. And Stephen does an incredible thing. Faith makes him look up to heaven. Come on. And he says in open vision, he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, doesn't the Bible tell you that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God? But Jesus stood up when Stephen was being persecuted. And he has this open vision. And all of a sudden, these guys put their hands on their ears and they go, la, 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 la. And they grit their teeth and they pick up rocks and they kill this brother. And the last words out of his mouth are, guess what? He didn't say, I hope every one of you burn in hell. No. He said, Lord, don't, don't, don't hold this sin against them. Forgive them. They don't have a clue what they're doing. You say, how can that happen? Faith meets the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. And you supernaturally respond to what's in front of you. Well, guess who is there watching this whole thing? A guy who's known as Saul of Tarsus. You know him as Paul the Apostle, who wrote two-thirds in the New Testament. Paul, when he saw this man, how he responded to persecution, he realized, all I've got is religion. This man knows God. Wow. Now, look, faith turned out in two different ways. In one type way, it was a total miraculous turnaround, and they went back to the quiet and peaceable life. But in the other direction with Stephen, he, faith let, was a stepping stone to heaven. But how many know, as we said earlier, earth is not our home. Yeah. Heaven is our home. And whatever you and I face in the future, I'm going to face it with faith. I'm going to believe God, come on, that God, who said he'd never leave me, is always going to be with me. And come on, God is the one that I'm out to please. And God is the one that I want to be proud of me. Give him a good hand today. Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to take a minute and just pray. Next week, Lord willing, we'll be back in the life of David. But I want you to take somebody by the hand near you, and I want us to pray for just a moment for America. I want us to pray for our president. 
I want us to pray that we might live a quiet and a peaceable life. Would you just enter into this prayer with me just a moment? Heavenly Father, we just say thank you for America. Thank you for the nation that we live in. And thank you, Lord, that whatever our desires were on that Tuesday night, that we woke up in the morning knowing that this world is still in your hands. And, Lord, I want to say thank you that we can face tomorrow with a confident faith in God. But, Lord, we want to begin, as the Scripture told us, and pray for those in authority. I pray for my president today. I pray for President Obama. I want to pray that he would have an encounter with God that would be life-changing. I want to pray that, that in his sleep the Holy Spirit would invade his world or invade the world of his wife or his children. And, Lord, maybe his wife would even say, Honey, those are children that we are, that, 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 whose lives are being taken through abortion. We need to reverse course on that. That's wrong. I want to pray that you would meet them, Lord, and somehow they would embrace, Lord, the, the, the stand for marriage between a man and a woman. I want to pray, Lord, that you would anoint them and bless them. Lord, I want to pray that our nation would have economic policies that would help us have quiet, peaceable lives. I pray, Lord, that we would have religious freedom in America where we could truly live out our convictions. Lord, we pray for every Supreme Court justice nationally and at the state level. We pray for every district judge. Lord, we pray for every local judge, every appeals court justice. We pray for governors. We pray for all those that are in authority in our lives. And we ask you to bless them today. We ask you to turn their hearts towards you. We ask you to give them courage to do what's right. We ask you that justice would prevail in this land. And we simply want to say, Lord, we welcome you in the United States of America. Would you forgive our fellow Americans, Lord, who have not stood for a right cause? Would you forgive those that have called wrong right and right wrong? Forgive those who mock your name in blindness. Remember, Lord, our sinfulness and remember that we need a Savior. Would you just come and send a spiritual awakening? We know a spiritual awakening doesn't start in the, church, in the White House. Spiritual awakening doesn't start in the governor's mansion. Spiritual awakening starts in the church house. And would you send an awakening to America that will allow us to have a quiet and peaceable life. And this is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And everybody say it. Amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. He's worthy of all our praise. It's been an honor to have you this morning. I love you. We're going to close with a song this morning and an opportunity for prayer. Because here's what I know. The Bible tells us not just to be a hearer of the Word of God, but to be a what? a doer. And I wonder if maybe something was said in the message that, that you need to respond to. Maybe I pushed a button this morning on you. Maybe something, and God revealed something about your heart that's not where it needs to be. And you want someone to pray for you. Maybe there's fear in your life about the future, and, and you want somebody to pray for you that you'd have faith. Maybe when we were talking about sacrifice or suffering, maybe you found that very hard, and you don't know how you would do if you were placed in a position where you had to stand for your faith or, or take the quiet and peaceable way, maybe you want to pray with someone this morning that God would give you supernatural strength to have courage to stand for Him. doesn't matter what it is. If you need prayer, we'll pray. Without a doubt, the most important prayer we could pray with you this morning is if you need to get right with God. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're not a follower of Christ. Maybe you need God's forgiveness. Maybe you knew the love of God at one time, but you got off track and you need to come back to God. Maybe you're here today and you don't even know if you'd go to heaven or hell when you die. Can I tell you, friends, you can commit your life to Christ and you can have His assurance of eternal life. But whatever it is this morning, we're going to sing this through one time and then dismiss. But as we sing, our prayer team is coming right now. And if you need prayer for anything this morning, come let us pray for you. If you need to get your life right with God today, 
Please come and don't miss this opportunity. Let someone help you make a connection with God. Come and let us pray. I love you, and we'll see you, Lord willing, next week.